You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman. Mark, good morning. It is good November morning. 24th, Thanksgiving week. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Safe Thanksgiving. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we are joined this morning by our colleagues, Caitlin Martin and Patrick Martin. No relation. Uh, the Martins are with us, Mark. <laughs> right. Very exciting. So, look, the transition is underway. So that's officially, formally. Indeed. By letter and by tweet. Yeah. So so that's underway. Patrick, I'll kick it to you to, to start as soon as you turn your microphone off mute. Um, what does, um, how's the transition shaping up? What do you make of where the incoming administration is on transitioning? Well, I think uh, yesterday's uh, decree uh, from the General Services Administration was a good step towards formalizing what had already uh, been taking place. You've seen a rollout of some significant staff and cabinet level appointments. And I think the the real theme of uh, the transition and the appointment so far is no big surprises. A lot of familiar faces, a lot of familiar names, people with long established records in foreign policy, defense, um, and in the ways of Washington, D.C. And I think uh, they are really clearly going for a reset to uh, normaler times. Um, and I think you're seeing that reflected in the picks. The, the one thing I'll point out is the president-elect is very aware of the need to have a cabinet and a White House looks as diverse as the party and country that got him there. And so while you're seeing uh, establishment names, people with decades of experience uh, in Washington, you're also seeing some historic picks. Uh, and so that's a, a needle that he's threading very carefully. I'd put Janet Yellen out there uh, as the first female Treasury Secretary as an example of that. Uh, clearly someone who is not new uh, to Washington uh, or to to the ways of, of finance or being the first female Treasury Secretary is in itself historic. Yeah. Mark, what do you what's what's your take to date? Well, just to supplement what Patrick said, which I, I think is spot on, uh, you're also seeing in the very early picks Senate confirmable candidates, which is a dimension of the transition that the president-elect has to be mindful of. We may see down the road some picks that will have a tougher time getting through the Senate, but he is certainly starting with the more confirmable picks. And it is uh, reminiscent. There's a deja vu element to the, the administration so far. Had there been a Democratic administration in 2016, uh, it, it might have looked uh, a lot like this does. So to, to that point, I guess what, what I think he's doing is surrounding himself with Bidenistas. I mean, loyalists, which, by the way, is is a fine approach, but it's it is very different than um, President Obama's approach. It's very different than um, obviously is. Every, everything is different than Trump's approach. But 
Tony Blinken for Secretary of State, <clears throat> for example, um, Ron Klain for Chief of Staff, Jake Sullivan. These are all Bidenistas. It's Biden world. These are all his people. But it is also Obama Biden. These are yeah. people who have previously served their loyalty, of course, is to yeah. the president elect, not to the uh, 44th president. But I, it, it, it I don't is, see it that way, Mark, because sorry to interrupt, but because they served in the Obama administration, but not exclusively, but principally in roles where they were serving the vice president. No question. And as but, you and I know, like, look at how much of a role Kamala has in what's going on so far. <laughs> so that would far. be that would be zilch. So because far. that's the way it works. Yeah, my Biden own, people, they're not Obama people, which which is great, which is fine. And I just think it's interesting. He's not this isn't a team of rivals. It's not bringing people in from the private sector. It's establishment. Biden establishment, long term relationship types so far. So far, and again, some of that is the Senate confirmable part, maybe. But my point, Howard, isn't that they have a dual loyalty to the 44th and 46th presidents. It's that they are experienced. So far, we are seeing uh -huh. as experienced a team as has ever been brought to government. As you said, President Obama brought people in who had never served before, as well as as veterans. And uh, no comment on Trump's picks. Let's go back a little further to Mark, because to, to Howard's point, this is not unprecedented. I think this is more a statement of Joe Biden and the long Washington career he's had. I would I would uh, relate this to to like a George H. W. Bush type transition. You, this was someone who had been in Washington a long time, had been vice president, uh, and so he had people like James Baker, who was you know his close personal friend, but had also served in the Reagan administration. Clinton, Obama, Trump, they had much smaller uh, amounts of time in some in one case, zero uh, amount of time in Washington. So the nature of who they picked and who they uh, chose was just different. Uh, in this case, he's choosing loyalists. But part of that is just the nature of the long uh, career in Washington he's had. I think it's also uh, par partly driven by the hand he's been dealt. Th this administration has a job and a half to do uh, starting on day one. And I think the the comfort of uh, of friends and right. the experience is is very important to the vice uh, the president elect, excuse me, as as he looks into the uh, agenda that is facing him. Th this is every bit the transition that Obama faced in the financial crisis and then some. It, it, it no one should envy the the cards that that the president-elect has been dealt to play. So I want to go back to that, but Caitlin, what's the view from the other side of the aisle? What's, uh, how do you think the picks are shaping up? And by the way, do you think now that a trans, do, how orderly do you think the transition um, becomes? Do we normalize on some level? Does, is Trump going to accept the result here? What's your 
What's your feeling on that question? Well, on some of the picks, I think, you know, what you guys have been saying is spot on there. These are a lot of establishment names. There aren't many progressive fire brands in, in the, the picks that have been announced thus far. We saw Wall Street really rally around the news about Janet Yellen as Treasury Secretary. Um, I'm curious how Elizabeth Warren is feeling is feeling right now with some of these picks and how the wing of the progressive party sees this. Um, but I think from, from the way that the transition has rolled out, they've got a good transition team. It's going as smooth as it could possibly go, given that we GSA just last night, you know, sort of turned over the keys. Um, and I do think from the Republican side of the aisle, you know, we saw Senator Portman, Senator John Cornyn, several other Republican senators come out, Senator Murkowski this week, and say, you know, the writing's on the wall. We need, we need to move forward. You know, the Electoral College will meet and certify the results on December 10th. And, um, you know, it's time to... To, to kind of move the country forward and and, and get get on with with the transition and um, with allowing Team Biden to have what they need to really start on day one with dealing with a global pandemic and a tough economic outlook. Yeah, you know, speaking of the economy and speaking of Janet Yellen, I'm puzzled by by that pick. Um, Senator Warren probably is too. Well, she actually, she for, actually for different reasons. She actually said she think she'd make a great Treasury Secretary. So she came out and made a statement. Whether she actually believes that or not, wouldn't be the first time Senator Warren has well, I, I said one thing publicly and thought another thing differently, like everybody in Washington. In fairness, but Howard, from I can report as the. Uh, podcast uh, delegate to the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, there is enthusiasm about Yellen's pick. She is not seen within the party as a conservative or even maybe a moderate. The progressives in the party, according to chatter uh, that that I saw yesterday are are very pleased with with the Yellen pick. So she has at least presented herself as as all things to all people. Well, it checks a big box. No Wall Street experience. That was the big. That was yep. I think the really big kind of thing. Progressives are tired of seeing out of Treasury Secretary picks, and I think that was the real line in the sand they were looking. At. Yeah, because it, of course it doesn't make any sense to have anybody who I mean she qualifies would make right, but <laughs> God forbid it makes sense to have somebody who understands the well, financial markets as Treasury. She, You're getting no arguments out of me there, Howard. Hank Paulson <laughs> and Bob Rubin they just weren't qualified for that. The, we all know that the Fed and the Treasury are two different places and two different jobs, but presumably the Fed is at least relevant experience. Right. No, she's obviously qualified. I mean, look, she's um, she's an expert in labor markets, and her view is that government, she's an economist, and government has to intervene in the markets from time to time in order to, to try to equalize. And I yeah. think that is why... The progressives aren't kicking and screaming over her yep. becoming treasury secretary, assuming she's confirmed. I, I I just think it's I think it's a I think it's an odd pick. I mean, she look, she was Council of Economic Advisors. She, she's been in the White House. She's obviously been at the Fed. I just 
but treasury's a a very political it's a political role and she's not the most politically experienced person everybody in washington is political even the fed is political as as my former boss hank hank paulson said but uh, i i don't know i, I think it would be interesting to see uh, the appointments to treasury just below the secretary yeah. level and and the national economic council and some of that because howard yeah. i agree with your point she is not political and i think mark to what you're referring to it, it could there could be a there could be space for others right to have right. outsized influence wall yeah. street will not be neglected in the next <laughs> level down i i promise you we'll or, or i predict or i, I predict anyway. i do think what it telegraphs for our clients and our listeners and, and and very relevant to what we do every day is that this administration is going to seek additional stimulus um, because she's somebody who can go to the Hill on, frankly, on both sides of the aisle and with credibility convey what needs to be done. Now she's in a political role and she still has to get the Republicans to, um, come along, and frankly, the Democrats for that matter, because the Democrats are going to be fighting amongst themselves as much on stimulus as they are with the Republicans. Um, but it does telegraph to me that we should expect more. And I, I think yeah, also I agree with, with that, and I think it's of a piece. I think John Kerry's selection is about potential climate, infrastructure, stimulus, legislation, and and working with the Senate. He said it yesterday, it, it's obvious, uh, he's, he's no stranger to that chamber. And I think the president-elect is trying to put together a team that can get something done. This, this is oriented towards action, not ideology in, in every pick to date. I think it's oriented towards stability, Mark. Yeah. Right. Correct. Correct. Which, the, is, which is a beautiful thing. It is. And the fun part, too, well, <laughs> we, we talked about this a little a at the beginning. Um, the fun part, too, is the who can get confirmed uh, game. There's obviously going to give some deference, you know, a little bit, not a lot, uh, to the new administration on who they select. But you'll see in these picks, particularly people who've been around Washington a long time. I was talking with my wife about this last night. These are going to be people who the other the Caitlin Martin. <laughs> yeah, these are going to be people who the president-elect is confident uh, are not hated by Republicans. And I, I mean, I remember in the Obama administration when there was all the talk of uh, him potentially picking Susan Rice to be Secretary of State before John Kerry. And I remember talking to a senior Republican in Washington who told me. This has been years in the making. Republicans in the Senate do not like her uh, for a whole host of reasons, and it will sink her. And so something that's kind of fun to observe about all this is it's going to say a lot about the people who he chooses and how they get along in the sort of Washington ecosystem. Uh, and I think you can be assured that most of them will have some mutual respect at minimum uh, from from the Republicans. Look, this is a relationship-driven town. As, as the four of us know, it's part and parcel of what we do for a living in helping clients navigate it. And all of these people have reputations and relationships. And to your point, you're exactly right. It's like 
if there's a reason people on the Hill didn't like Susan Rice, um, and there's a reason they do like other people. And it's just a reminder that your reputation and your relationships uh, actually matter when it comes to things like getting confirmed. And Caitlin, what are you hearing or reading on the other side of the aisle about the appointments so far? Well, what I haven't heard is a lot of initial gut outright opposition yet. Obviously, you know, most of these folks were just announced over the past 24 hours, but it does seem like they're sitting, watching, waiting. Um, McConnell has said that, you know, the Senate has the ability to confirm these nominees, but he has also kind of hedged and pledged a little that he's not going to just tank any Biden cabinet nominee that's put forth. Um, and he is an institutionalist and he has confirmed Obama's cabinet officials. And, and he does believe in the ability of the president that is, was rightfully elected to, to pick his team. So I have not heard a lot of outright initial concern. I mean, Kerry is climate czar. That might, that's going to be interesting to watch, but that's not a Senate. That is not a confirmation. Right, exactly. He doesn't need confirmation. It's very interesting, which may be a euphemism on my part, that uh, as, you know, subject to the Georgia runoffs, as Trump becomes a lame duck president, uh, Mitch McConnell is the second most powerful person in Washington. To Howard's point about uh, the vice president-elect, uh, Mitch McConnell holds, uh, I think, a, a pretty firm grip on second place subject to Georgia. And it will just be interesting to see how Biden and McConnell uh, do together. One other thing on appointments, Howard, in the past, yeah. even when the opposition parties in the minority in the Senate, you always get a couple scalps, right? You always, there, right. there are going to be a couple totally. picks, uh, maybe more than a couple that, that get challenged. That will particularly be the case given that Republicans are in the majority in the Senate. They yeah. have outsized say. Well, let's talk about that majority because um, there's an election coming up in Georgia to runoff races. And I think we and everybody else is operating under the wisdom, that the view that the Republicans win at least one of those and keep the Senate, which it's fair for that to be our base case. But I saw something over the weekend where there was a Trump pro-Trump rally where essentially the Republicans were saying the, the people attending the rally were saying if folks don't support Trump and his bid to rightfully remain in office they're not coming out on behalf of Republican candidates for the Senate uh, in January. I, you know, I, it's hard to extrapolate from one rally to, to a, a race as a whole. The dynamics of this race are just, they're very confusing. And because it, you got so many cross currents, Trump and Biden yeah. aren't on the ballot. They were, I mean, there's a lot of reason to believe at least one of them goes R, but they're they're going to be close. Georgia just went for Biden. I, what do you think, Mark? Well, yes, it, it is what I think. I, I think it it will be close. Democrats are turning out. Period. Democrats. The election hasn't ended 
from Democrats. Democrats are turning out. Democrats are still registering voters, Stacey Abrams and beyond. So Democrats are turning out. We'll see what delegitimizing the electoral process means in Georgia for Republicans. Trump delegitimized mail-in ballots to his detriment, I think, in this election. And maybe delegitimizing the process is, as you were just saying about people at that rally, Howard, it it may dampen turnout. So to be determined, I I think at worst, Republicans win, win one. I think McConnell remains majority leader. But I didn't think Biden was winning Georgia to begin with. So, so TBD. Well, Howard... I would say two things in response, Howard. One, on the other side of the coin, when you mentioned the Trump rally goers, there was also a story yesterday about business corporate CEOs saying they were withholding giving money to Leffler and Purdue until Trump admitted and acknowledged that Biden had won and was allowing a clear transition to take place. There's a lot of, I think, from the business community, the U.S. Chamber, the Business Roundtable, um, you know, the manufacturers, th- there's a sense of, of understanding how crucial these two races are. And if you do look at the margins, yes, Biden won Georgia, but if you look at the margins that Kelly Leffler was ahead of Warnock and Purdue was ahead of Ossoff, I believe it was like point, I forget the final margin, but it was so, so, so close. They were well ahead. They just did not hit that 50% threshold. I, I, predict both of them are going to, it's going to be a tough turnout election. It could be close, closer than it should be in Georgia. But I do firmly think that both of them are, are able to pull it out. And it is interesting to see the dynamics of um, folks that that want to play in those races, that understand the importance, but that are holding off contingent upon President Trump allowing a regular orderly transition to go forth. I agree with Caitlin that I, I think I certainly uh, think the Republicans are probably favored at least a little bit to win to win both. But the only reason I think that is just because that's what it always seems like. It's Georgia. It's kind of, yeah, it's this <laughs> conventional. It's to Mark's point. I felt the same way about the presidential. It would be so 2020 if after a confusing general election result with mixed messages, Georgia delivered us an even more confusing result of a 50-50 Senate to cap off the weirdest year, I think, in, in my yeah. lifetime. And it, it will others. technically be, be 2021. 2021 yeah, no, that's right. That's good. Yeah, then, then all bets are off. That's a new no, it, year. Well, it could kick <laughs> off an even stranger year. Yeah. We, we don't know what we're in for just yet. So, so speaking of strange years that this is, so we've got covid just running rampant through the country, through the world, but let's focus on our world. Um, I mean, it, it's, I got a note from my doctor yesterday, you know, a practice wide note saying it's basically spreading uncontrolled. We've got a vaccine, three vaccines, not a vaccine, three vaccines now. The AstraZeneca data came in overnight. Three vaccines reporting very positive results. A presidential transition from the ultimate outsider to the ultimate insider. And the stock market at an all-time high. 
it's, I feel like we're living in like multiple parallel universes. It's just, it, it, it's just it's strange. 2020. It's, it's 2020, but what does well, all of that up, add up to from a, from a Washington point of view? This is the question we're getting from all of our clients and we're, we're talking to clients about how to prepare for, for the next couple of years. What does it, what does it add up to Caitlin? I think, well, what it adds up to is, and, and this might be an unpopular opinion here, but the fact that we have three vaccines in eight months, this administration has successfully helped herald and, and, and move the barriers and create a process whereby Operation Warp Speed worked. And the Trump administration might not get a lot of credit for that, but it's, it's, it's an amazing feat to have within eight months, we know how long other vaccines have taken, decades. And I think that this is great news for the country. It's good news for the economy. Um, and I'm hopeful that a Biden administration is going to continue to work to unleash the economy and promote small businesses, support small businesses, and take a look at, at, at where things stand and think twice about some of these campaign promises that in in my view and in a lot of Republicans' views would really hurt and hinder as the economy and small businesses as we're coming out of such a such a rough time. But Mark, I think what, it's an amazing yeah, feat that we've I, got three Mark, comment comment on Caitlin's point about this happening under the Trump administration. Well of and course. don't duck the question. The first vaccine had nothing to do with Project Warp Speed. The other two participated and Project Warp Speed seems to have been a success. And to the degree it contributed to these vaccines, it is obviously something that is of great importance and great service to the country. So I, I don't debunk the the project uh, altogether simply because it happened during this administration. But to the Wall Street point, Howard, my sources on Wall Street have told me for, for months now that Wall Street cares about two things, a vaccine and more stimulus. And I think what you are seeing is a reaction to the news that there is going to be not one, but three vaccines. And as you were saying earlier with Yellen and Biden and the other picks, I think Wall Street's counting on more stimulus. I think if we don't see more stimulus, you may see the markets mm -hmm. comment otherwise. But to me, that that's what this is about uh, in, in the markets, vaccines and stimulus. I, I mean, not so sure. I mean... I think it's definitely about the vaccine. Um, I'm not sure that the market is pricing in additional stimulus, but I obviously, the, look, the market is a reflection of expectations about future corporate profits. So the market believes as a whole that companies are going to make more money, not less. Yeah. And... I, I just think it's interesting. I just think it, it is such a 
Well, the the disconnect, as you have taught us previously on this podcast, the disconnect is between the markets and the underlying economy. The there are plenty of people in this economy still so struggling and suffering. And the economy, the economic condition is not at an all-time high, although although the markets are. But that's where the stimulus potentially bridges that, makes that connection. Yeah. And stability, your word earlier, Howard. I, I, agree, with, I agree with you, Mark. I, and I think if you're trying to take apply a lesson from the election to sort of how the markets are responding and how people are, are viewing next year, I think, uh, as a kind of general comment, the election results uh, and just sort of how things felt throughout the entire election reminded me that people were more concerned about the pandemic as an economic matter than they were as a public health matter. You know, back on your point about the vaccine, Caitlin, the, the problem with Trump is that he steps on his own message. And it's always oh, been- Of course, the I wish he was out there. Yeah, he's he's a he's a he's a dope because he he should be out there now legacy building. I mean, he should he has they can take credit. You get the blame and the credit for everything that happens. And they did architect Project Warp Speed with Congress. They got the money appropriated. They conceived of it. They put it in DOD like they get the credit. And, and they're and, going to be in charge of the initial distribution as well. Yeah. And so it's, I mean, look, he's royally screwed up the crisis on many other levels, which is inexcusable, but he should be out there. I mean, maybe it's just part of the fact that he doesn't want to acknowledge the reality of the virus to begin with. Um, as, as a friend of mine who um, has covid texted me the other day. It's no fun to have a hoax virus. Um, it's, I mean, maybe, maybe he, maybe he just doesn't want to continues to not want to acknowledge the, but they should be taking credit. He should be pivoting off of it and, and, and legacy building. It's, it just makes no sense to me, but that's many things in the, in the Trump era. Um, so guys, let's, uh, let's end here. It's Thanksgiving week. So uh, we go around our Thanksgiving table every year and ask each other, um, you know, what we're thankful for. Um, so, Mark, tell us one thing, not personal, professional, <laughs> that you're thankful for in, in this strange, bizarre year that 2020 is extraordinarily grateful for the opportunity to work with the incoming Biden administration. I had a feeling that would be your answer, Mark. <laughs> Dressed in blue here, black and blue, because it's been a bruising uh, election season. But th that would be the top of my pro professional gratitude list. Caitlin. I'm thankful for working with such a smart, sharp, bipartisan team that I know we're going to be doing great and exciting things with the Biden administration, with the Republican held Senate and 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 with a team that that has seen it all at this point. And, and we knew that was Caitlin's answer, right, Howard? 
Definitely. <laughs> so so far I'm you're two. For, yeah, you're you're two for two. Patrick is yeah. uh, is the outlier here. Patrick, I get to go too, so maybe I'll surprise you. Probably not. <laughs> Patrick. I'll go a little bit of a different direction, but I think something all of us have sort of talked about throughout the year, which is I'm thankful for in the midst of a year that was remarkably stressful, uh, both politically, professionally, personally for, for everyone in different ways, where there was just so much division that we saw play out on television, uh, you know, virtually every night, that as I'm starting to look back on the year as we're getting to the end of it, it had a weird way of reminding all of us what is really important in life. And for those of us who spend a lot of time on airplanes crisscrossing the country, uh, the opportunity to get to spend a few more nights at home uh, with my little kids is something I will uh, always be be thankful for. And it's it's that it had to be a pandemic that that delivered that. But this year has provided me with a bit of much needed perspective um, going forward. Yeah. And I'll say this, Amen. I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity to, to, as Caitlin said, work with all of you and, and the rest of our great team. Um, but I'm thankful that the system holds, right. that the system works. I think what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, as I've said many times. And uh, the last four years has, as an, and will continue to be a, a, a test. I mean, we're not, we've got a month and a half to go, um, plus two months to go, basically. Um, and we'll be tested here. But look, the, the system is going to hold. It's worked. The checks and balances are there for a reason. And um, people have made a lot of, money over time betting against this country. I mean, bet, betting against the demise of this country. And um, this, this is a strong, well-structured democracy. And I'm just thankful that the system is what it is and that we all get to participate in it. So agreed. Amen. Let's, let's stop there. Uh, a fun and spirited discussion as always. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Happy Thanksgiving to our uh, loyal listeners. <laughs> and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with more banter as we go through the transition. Mark, Patrick, Great. Caitlin, thanks. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.